Tesla sees themselves this year as having a rare opportunity, as other car makers are struggling mightily as they try to even make a profit from their electric vehicle programs, Tesla is going in for the win. They're going full force with plans to continue drastic price cuts to really leverage their position as the industry cost leader. Today, we're speaking with a long-term Tesla investor, a self-described bull who is all in with Tesla's volume versus margin strategy. He will review his analysis of Tesla's robotaxi potential and will also get his reaction to the latest earnings call. Tesla believes each vehicle sold will still grow margins over time with the potential lifetime value of full self-driving, supercharging, connectivity, and service. Tesla also expects ongoing cost reductions of its vehicles and its rapidly growing energy storage production capacity at its mega factories. We're joined today by Larry Goldberg. Welcome, Larry. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Pleasure to be right. here. So Larry is a serial entrepreneur. He's founded a couple of companies here, angel investor and co-author of the book, The Decision Model. He's co-founded a company called Sapiens Decision, which is now a 5,000-employee company that you know helps business analysts automate processes and decisions. You can check them out at sapiensdecision.com. He's now retired. He's traveling the world, and he's studying Tesla. Help me get brighter. Larry, thank you. Great place of peace to be here, Herbert. Followed you for a long time. Very, very interested in the work you've done and the people you have on. Well, you're going to be one uh, to join that. Thank you so far. So for right now, it's uh, near midnight. It's 11 o'clock your time and uh, you're in Paris. Uh, so you're traveling right. the world right now. <laughs> yeah, we're enjoying a beautiful spring in Paris. and uh, It's lovely here. I mean, notwithstanding the riots, and we, we haven't seen any of them, but it's a beautiful, beautiful spring here. Wonderful. Thank you for taking the time with me. So one of the first questions I want to ask you is um, you've said that the market you see is a billion cars. And I've heard you say also that 20 million electric vehicles by 2030, that Tesla is going to be saying that they're going to achieve is not only likely, but there might even be a chance for 30 million. Can you start off and tell me about your projection for these vehicle estimates? Yeah. I, you know, people talk about market share. And there are, you know, X million, t tens of millions of cars sold a year. I think the number is 60 to 100 million right. cars a year, um, 60 at low, 100 at the high every year. And they say, well, we can get this percentage of EVs this year. We'll top out at that percentage by that year. And I don't see it that way at all. I think that uh, the speed at which EVs are gaining market share and the, emergen the urgency with which we as a civilization are heading towards you know, renewable energy indicates to me that there's going to be a sudden change in the market. It's not going to be 15%, then 18%, then 20%, and this gradual rise to 60% by or 30% by X date. It's going to reach a point, and at that point, it's going to switch. And at that point, ICE cars are not going to be economic to build. You can't build, you know, 30% of your of, of, of your factory in ICE cars and 70% in EV cars. It just doesn't work that way. It's going to be a point of time where ICE vendors who haven't committed to EVs or haven't yeah. conquered EVs are going to go out of business, and those that can are going to go into the EV business, and it's going to be 100% EV, well, 100%. I mean, there's always going to be a use case for ICE vehicles at the edge, but very much at the edge. And so we will see in... In my lifetime, I'm 77 years of age, but in my lifetime, we'll see the point at which EVs are 90% of the market. And, and so this whole idea of, well, they'll get 17% 17, 17 of the market, then 20% of the market, that's not going to happen. It's going to be overnight, and nobody's poised the way Tesla is poised to drive the kind of volumes that they're capable of, of delivering. So I. I don't see 20 million as being a reach. 
you know, it's quite possible they'll hit 30 million. It all depends on how quickly they can generate new models and 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 actually fulfill the market demands for the different types of vehicles that there are out there. And that's the tough one. You know, production is very difficult. You know, it's, Elon's spoken about it many, many times. I have this uh, chart I'm going to show here shortly. And it's the one where uh, they showed that if you take all the car manufacturers, including China, uh, BYD, right, um, all the pure EV players, Tesla, all the original OEM, and you add up all of their projected uh, targets that they think they're going to achieve by 2030, it adds up to 80 million. Yeah. And so yeah. that's with Tesla saying that they're going to do 20 million. And so then, okay, what's what's your guess or what's your probability you think that every car manufacturer is going to hit their target of what they think they'll do by 2030? And if they can't do it, then... <laughs> well, Herbert, you no. and I both lived through the last five or seven years where we've been promised X number of cars by X date, by X uh, OEM, and they haven't delivered. I mean, I remember yeah. Jaguar I-Pace was going to kill Tesla then. This one was going to kill Tesla. That one was going to kill Tesla. And they've been killing Tesla all along. And they'll continue killing Tesla until we get to that 30 million mark or 20 million mark. You pick your number. I don't think it's material. You know, but to say, well, Tesla will get 17% of the market by 2020 and then they'll get eight. That's, that's crazy. It's going to be who has the production capacity to fulfill the absolute demand for these cars, and it's not going to be easy. It is not going to be easy. Those guys who are just who are just tooling up now, they're seven years behind Tesla. Seven years. I mean, Ford talks a good game, but when you look at their numbers, it's shocking. I mean, they're talking about losing $9 billion. Everyone says, yes, they're rich. They've got X, tens of billions of they haven't. You look at their balance sheet and you take out their financial assets for which they have commitments and, you know, they're as much liability as there are assets. The actual reserves on Ford balance sheet are not that great and neither are GMs. The German auto manufacturers are deeper in debt than even GM or Ford. So where is all the capital coming from? Look, the capital is going to come because there is no option but to catch up. And, you know, people criticize Tesla because they only have X number of models and the models are old and so on. But where are these other models? Where are the volumes? They're just not there, and it's going to take years for them to get there. Well, do you think that they, the desire or the demand for electric vehicles, it, is that um, I, you were kind of alluding to already? You think that there's a moment in time when the consumer will just say it doesn't make sense to buy this car, or this uh, ICE car anymore. Do you think that that's happened already? Where are we at in that decision? No, it hasn't happened. But Herbert, did you live through the fifth phone to iPhone yeah. revolution? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the day, the moment, the hour? where flip phones were no longer of any consequence at all and people either had an iPhone or they didn't have a phone, you don't actually, you cannot pinpoint that day. Right. But that day happened. Mm -hmm. And it took a while in coming. You know, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, people were still saying, oh, I don't know which phone I'm getting. By 2011, it was over. Correct. Yeah. It was over. Nobody bought yeah. a flip phone anymore. This revolution is going to be, you know, more serious than the phone revolution. It's going to involve a lot more money. It's going to be a lot, a lot. But the pressure to drive people to EVs from government, yeah. from, you know, from the, from the social acceptance of the, of the vehicle. You know, do you remember in the middle of the pandemic how we took those pictures of Los Angeles and how beautiful it was and how clear it was? It's going to be that moment again. And, you know, whole whole countries, whole cities, whole states are just going to outlaw 
the ice we have. Yeah. It's happening in China right now. It's happening in California. It's going to happen in New York. It's going to happen everywhere. But, you know, you've got these billions and billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are engaged in that industry, and they're going to have to make that transition. It's going to be tough, but it's going to happen. And I, I can't give you the date, time, the year, just as I couldn't for the iPhone. But over the next five or six years, it's happening. By 2030, it's over. By 2020, you know, by 2030, I would be amazed. I've been wrong before, so I you know, <laughs> can be wrong again this time. But by 2030, if people are buying, look what happened in Norway. Yeah. You know, 20% of people are buying ice cars. Can you imagine being Norwegian? And buying an ice car, I mean, so they're already just... at eighty percent EVs. So w when you hear that some people's targets that twenty thirty sixty percent of electric vehicles, forty percent ice vehicles, uh, what's your reaction to that number? And then the second question is: some people are saying that look, Toyota only sells eleven million cars per year. There's no mm -hmm. one that can do twenty million, and if they hit twenty million. That means you're expecting them to have forty percent of the you know the, of the market, which is unheard of for a company to have. Well, it's not forty percent of the market because you're assuming the market is somewhere between sixty million and a hundred million cars a year. No, you have a replacement market of a billion cars that you have right. to solve. Below. Okay. No, I mean it's true. I mean people are going to be outlawing whole cities, whole states, whole countries. Are going to be outlawing ice cars by 2020, and if they're not, then socially, the ice car is going to become unacceptable. I mean, when you think about, I read today in in, in a posting, somebody was complaining about all these cars waiting for children in a school lineup, and how much CO2 they were outputting. It's going to be socially unacceptable to buy an, to drive an ice car. So, so you have to change for an EV. So instead of selling 60 million to 100 million in a good year, cars a year, there's going to be this massive change of, 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 of market. So, so flip phones, you know, we're selling, you know, 100, 100 billion phones a year, um, 100 million, sorry. And now, you know, flip phones are in four or five times that number. So, I mean, I don't want to belabor the phone Smart example, market. but what I will say is that we've got a billion cars to replace. Yeah, That's the bottom line. And it's no longer 100 million cars a year. It is how quickly can you replace a billion cars? That's the question. The financing, the production, all the pressures in modern social life to get rid of these, you know, these poison emitters with, uh, with electric cars, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, it is true that the uh, regulations is, is coming fast and uh, faster than we think. Countries are making uh, pretty incredible uh, laws in place. Usually we've been hearing the 2035 mark, but recently even just the U.S., right? 50% of all cars need to be electric vehicles by 2030. And then not to mention the states themselves making these kind of uh, statements. So, you you know, you could be right that it can be happening faster. That's that's with regulation. But even without regulation, I think you're right, because that is what happened in different industries. Um, the example I give is Netflix and Blockbuster. When Netflix came out, Blockbuster continued to have record revenues, record profits, record growth every year for three years until Netflix, at that time, DVD by mail, hit 5%. And as soon as they hit 5%, uh, what happened in Blockbuster, by the way, could be exactly what happened to these ice manufacturers. They were overloaded with debt. So they actually had a competitive offering to DVD by mail. And in fact, Netflix was willing to get bought by them because they knew that they were they had an inferior product to what Blockbuster had. They begged to be they bought begged. by them. They flew they to Dallas. To they went up to the executive team. Yep. The problem what happened to Blockbuster was they had so much debt because of all of the retail stores that they had and then the interest rates rose, and it's almost exactly what's happening here. And then they they couldn't they couldn't even survive. Mm -hmm. And so, 
anyways, like you said, it's always like, you know, yeah. they were still growing. And then all of a sudden, at one point, it's like a massive cut. And I think you're one of the few that I've heard this story from that it's going to be faster and deeper and quicker than we're realizing. And then your market is not just, you know, 800, uh, 80 million. You're thinking that it's going to be even more than that because people are going to replace even what they have now. Yeah. Interesting. There'll be a massive replacement market, a massive replacement market. And, I, you know, I don't know where it ends because you've got to think about the third world. I mean, it's very complex. It's, it's very complex to try and call this. But in the first world, the pressure to get rid of the ice vehicles are going to be very, very high indeed. And they're going to lose value. That, so that's dramatic. the thing, right? They're going to lose so much value that you would never even want to. Yeah, you, you know, some people still want to hold on to it because they only eke it out for as long as they can. But why would you buy a brand new car? And you don't have to wait until, yeah. Think about the, yeah, think about the, you know, corollary. Think about the, 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 the collateral damage. Think about the gas mm. stations. Think about the service stations. Think about the dealerships. Oh, interesting. You know, you're talking about this. And and they all have political power, and they're all going to pressure politics as they do now with the dealerships to disallow this movement. But it comes to a point, and it's a break point. And when that point comes, it's all over, and and it it's like a deluge. Yeah, you just blew yeah. my mind there. You just blew my it's mind over. because I didn't even think of it myself. Which is like, okay, it's one thing where EVs are growing, ice cars are falling, but when they fall to a certain extent. You're going to start losing gas stations. And so if you now don't have enough gas stations out there, why would you buy a car, ice car when you know that you've lost 50% of gas stations out there? And the same thing with service centers and uh, like automotive shops, uh, dealerships, everything you just said. When they start dying because yeah. there's so much less, like it's over. I've hmm. often wondered whether the most valuable asset in the Tesla universe may well be there supercharger network you know because it it is so valuable it is so incredibly i mean i've done two mm. cross-country trips now using that supercharger network there's nothing like it anywhere well that's not true in europe they're actually they're pretty good but yeah anyway so. okay that's very very cool you just uh blew my mind a little bit there made me think um so we just had the tesla q1 earnings call uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about the, um, you know, the 20%, whether or not they actually made that guidance to hit the automotive gold margin guidance, and then how you want to compare projections. How did you fare with your projections? Well, I projected 87 cents uh, non-gap earnings. Um, turned out to be two cents too high. I I have plenty of people to blame for it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the guys who were selling us mega pack margins being so high, kind yeah. of it. It kind of got. I, I I was very doubtful about the hype. I expressed my doubts. I got myself blocked from some folks as a result. Um, but I, in the end, I went along with it a little bit. You can see uh, where I, you know, allowed myself to be convinced. That we would make a little bit of money on 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 that. Mm -hmm. I was pretty good on the auto um, on the auto margins, as you can see. Um, I kind of hit them. I was close yep. on the auto margins. I misjudged um, regulatory credits. I gave us a little bit too much money. I gave us too much credit for regulatory credits. Mm -hmm. Gave us far too much money for um, margin and and revenue on mega packs, um, but I was sufficiently um, conservative on the expenses and um, and so I kind of broke even. Where I fell down badly, and I think most of us did, is I was not ready. To have the seven hundred million dollar uh, loss on uh, foreign exchange, which really leaches through through the whole accounting, um, and so you know, at the end of the day, I felt okay about my eighty-seven cents. I wish I had 
stuck to my last and as far as my original, um, you know, uh, energy uh, estimates were. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm very happy with the energy business. I think it's going to be an amazing business. I wrote a lengthy uh, thread about it. Uh, I think it's going to be not as large as the auto industry, uh, as the auto business, but almost as large. I mean, it can reach to that you know, multi, almost trillion dollar level, at least half a trillion dollars. And I think um, Tesla is very well positioned for it. Um, yeah. This yeah. is great. Okay, so this is your table. Uh, Larry Goldberg, estimate on the left. The actual is on the right. Uh, auto revenue, excluding X credit, regular credits. You were at 18.3%. There were the 18. Actual was 18.9. You were you did very well. I mean, no one else hit this one. I, I you seem yeah. to have hit that one perfectly. Um, well, if you look hmm. at my average selling price on the computer. Call, uh -huh. You'll see, I came relatively close to their average selling price, and I didn't buy any of the hype about the, you know, the supply chain. The supply chain costs. I know how long these supply chains are. I know how. I, I know just how long these supply chains take to work yeah. through. Yeah. You know, I had a, so a software company that built supply chain software, and uh, so I'm very familiar with it. And uh, I, I didn't think that we were going to see. Anything like the kinds of savings on, on supplies that would, and and by the way, that's that's the risk for this quarter as well. Which is, what's the risk for? Yeah, they've dropped prices again, and uh, I don't think our cost of product has gone down accordingly, and so I think our margins are going to progress even further this quarter. Okay. So, I'm, so I'm, yeah, go ahead. Why did you call this perversity? Perversity of projections. <laughs> the perversity is this: that I called so many things wrong, but got the bottom line relatively right. I gotcha. Okay. And that's the perversity of projections. You know, there are so many moving parts. It, it, this is not like General Motors or Ford, where there's a relatively small number of moving parts. It's true they have much larger businesses. But their businesses are so large that they actually do have, you know, a, a standard, a standard that you could live by. With Tesla, you know, when you look at the growth of energy, when you look at even the growth of services, and you look at the stability of their um, fixed costs, you can see that. You can get the growth and margin wrong by a little and be out by a lot. So the perversity is that you know we all spend this huge amount of energy doing these, doing this analysis, and I have friends who do you know line by line five thousand lines on on a spreadsheet. I, I don't believe in that. I, when I run a business, I want to see the business in five lines, ten lines at the most. I want to see what is important in the business, and I want to understand what are the likelihood of success and what are the what is the range of likelihood of success. And I think, I think, honestly, I think Elon runs his business that way. Yeah. That's why he is so good at operating costs. His operating costs are amazing. There's nothing like it on earth in in the in the in the motor car business. But also in the energy business and certainly in the space business, he, it's amazing. I mean, he he delivers the level of revenue that Grumman delivers at the level of cost that you know a, a, a corner garage will run at. I mean, the guy is amazing. So so the perversity of projections is that it's extraordinarily difficult. To do you know every line accurately, and you've got to look at it as a whole. And you've got to feel you've got to feel the way as a whole. So, but I've been as much wrong as I've been right doing my projections. And certainly, when you go from this to the share price, that's been yeah. crazy. The last two years, the last year and a half, it's been crazy. 
Okay, well, I want to get there, but uh, let's continue the conversation about how Tesla compares to Ford and GM. You want to talk to this yeah. chart? I know it's hard for people, so let me explain. This first column here is sales and service. Then this one is auto cost of sales. Then an auto gross profit. And then corporate net profit. And then the yeah. red is Tesla. The blue, the dark blue is Ford. And the light blue is GM. This is right. fiscal so year 2022. Go ahead. Right. Uh, what I'm trying to illustrate here is just how much room to play Tesla has got. So just understand that the last two columns are actually multiplying by 100. So because I didn't want to have you know tiny bars on the chart, I changed the scale to on the on the right too. But if you look at revenue, you you can see that you know GM and Ford are all double. More, yeah, double. Double, literally mm -hmm. double. Even though they have many times more vehicles four or five times as many vehicles they sell, their revenue is literally double. But when you look at the gross margin, which is the, the third column, and you look at the net profit, you'll see that Tesla beats them both. Yeah. Now, that's not going to happen this quarter. This quarter, GM is going to beat Tesla handily, and even Ford may in terms of gross profit and net profit, in my view. Um, but n nonetheless, the margin, the, the ratios for Tesla are going to be a lot better than for the GM. The point about this chart is that for Tesla has got room to maneuver, and they're using that room to maneuver. Now, a lot of people argue, and, and quite cogently, that if they were advertising and marketing more actively, they would do better. And it's more than possible. I think that the reality is that they've reached, you know, saturation point for the type of vehicle they have. Mm -hmm. They're running behind in delivering a, you know, a, a broader line, a broader range of vehicles, the Cybertruck and the 25K car, whatever they want to call it, that, that other model, which would fill out the, the, the range very well. Not the other model, but the actual um, platform. So it's going to have to be a platform. It's going to have to be several variants of that vehicle. But the Cybertruck and the the um, entry-level model, together with the 3Y and, and the SNX, would be a range of cars that could, you know, grow to that 20, 30 million range. They're late in delivering that. And they're late mm -hmm. in delivering that for probably a couple of reasons. One, I think, is the pandemic. The pandemic put them back a, at least a year, maybe two years. The other reason is that it's difficult for them. They don't have the they don't have the infrastructure. I remember Elon in an interview talking wistfully about the fact that these other OEMs could do multiple vehicles at a time. And they could only do one vehicle at a time. At that time he had the three in the market, and they were trying to deliver the why they wanted to do the, you know, the, the cyber truck, and then then the pandemic struck. But he was talking even at that time of how difficult it was. So the point about that whole slide is that Tesla are ideally positioned because of their margins, because of their um, cost control of costs at every level, uh, including their software uh, implementation, and it's talked about in this um, uh, quarterly re uh, review, and also because of their low manufacturing costs, they're very well positioned to compete very um, aggressively in cost. It's possible that they could do better by doing a little bit of marketing or a lot of marketing, a little bit of advertising, a lot of advertising. We all second guess Elon on many, many subjects. A lot of people are second guessing him on this subject. I've learned to stop second guessing Elon. Mm -hmm. I've heard so many people second guessing him so long for so many years. You know, ever since I guess ever since he he founded SpaceX, ever since he's founded Tesla, they all tell me about how he's doing it wrong. 
And they keep telling him how he's doing it wrong. And yet, you know, he launches Starship. I mean, he just does it. So I, I've learned to stop second-guessing him. I would prefer him not to be as political as he is. I think it's effect, imp, impacting sales. I think it has a definite impact on the market. But, you know, he's Elon. He's not going to change What's your um, opinion? The earnings call happened yesterday. They're doing the volume versus margin play, uh, doing it right now during a macro environment, thinking that it's um, the right thing to do because they're going to just uh, grow their volume and make up the margin later. Mm -hmm. What was your reaction to that uh, when you heard that they really just doubled down on that idea? It's complicated. Look, I happen to be of the same mind that we are in a very bad macro situation. People quote how many cars so-and-so is selling and there's such a backlog for that car in this car. But I would tell you something. I have such skepticism. I think the end of this quarter, everybody's going to look at around and say, my God, what happened to the OEMs? I think the channel is so full of vehicles right now. It's so packed with vehicles. I think that we're going to see, you know, Huge problems in the channel. Huge problems in the channel. I don't think that we're going to see a lot of cars move this quarter. Um, that's my view. I may be reading it wrong. So I'm the wrong guy to ask. I happen to have, you know, drunk the, the elixir. I believe him. I do think they handled the call very badly. There was no real, there wasn't, passion in that call yesterday. There wasn't, I didn't feel very convinced. And, you know, I love Zach. I think he's such a guru. I think he's such a great CFO. He wasn't present. Elon wasn't present. And even Drew kind of bungled it. And there was, there wasn't the energy in that room that there should have been. And there wasn't the level of there wasn't the level of, of, of you know presence. So take that, add to it the complexity of the situation. Mm -hmm. Didn't didn't they didn't get the message across, and they didn't get their message clear. But it's happened before. We've been through this. These calls so many times when, you know, it sounds terrible, it didn't go well. I don't remember if it was the second, first quarter of 2019. It was terrible. The stock went to hell and, you know, and what two quarters later we were at, you know, some high watermark. So I, I, I think that the strategy, I understand the strategy. I think they're right. I think we are in a recession. Mm -hmm. I think the number of people working in this country today is the lowest it's been since the 70s. Percentage of people that are participating in the workforce, the lowest it's been in the 70s. And they can tell me everything they want to tell me about how low unemployment is. I say that's bull. I say that the unemployment rate is higher in this country than it's been in 50 years. And I was there in the 70s. I was losing my boots in the 70s. Nearly went out of business. So I, I know what it's like. And, and we're only going to realize it in a year's time on the next year. But the level of participation is just terrible. terrible. And they keep talking about how low unemployment is. It's incredibly high. You believe the macro is worse than it is. And so you're okay. You're thinking that the Tesla management is dealing with a very tough macro. And then you did say, right, just want to confirm with me that you do agree with the volume versus margin play right now, you know, strategically, just the right thing to be doing. Yes, but I still think that Gary has a really good point about marketing. I think that... Um, I don't like the idea of advertising, but I will never forget the ad that Steve Jobs had, mm -hmm. you know, with the with the big mm -hmm. sledgehammer. face 
sledgehammer, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Elon needs a sledgehammer. And that's really, um, you know, where, I mean, Steve was incredible. Steve could never run a business the way Elon could run a business. Mm -hmm. But my God, could he, could he sell a product? And then with Elon, you don't like his product, don't buy it, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Gary has a point. Okay. I like that very much. All right. So, you know, we've, we, you gave your opinion over the Q1. Um, you're you are a bull, right? Just to be clear, you're not an Uber bull, but you're a bull. And what's your target? What do you do? You give yourself a target of a price Tesla price by a certain date. I am an Uber bull. You are an I Uber see, bull. I am an Uber bull. I see twenty to thirty million cars Tesla delivering. Twenty to thirty million cars, you know, in nine, in twenty thirty. I would call that an Uber bull. I also see a $500 billion to a trillion dollar energy market, and I see Tesla dominating that market. I am a little bit more cautious about robo-taxis than most. I think it's going to take longer than we think, longer than, certainly longer than Elon thinks, and probably longer than most. But I think Tesla are going to dominate that market. So we're talking about a multi-trillion dollar business. And what does it matter what the share price is? You know, whether it's a thousand or five thousand, do that. I mean, who cares? It's just so much money that it doesn't it doesn't compute. I mean, I you know, I, I don't know if I, I mean this is for my family, I don't know if I'll even be around twenty years' time, but that's what that company's gonna be. Now, we have political risk. Elon has set himself up and exposed himself on political risk. Uh, we have political risk in China. Uh, we have, you know, the recession that we're going through now is both an opportunity, but also it's a serious risk. Um, so anything can happen. And Elon is a risk, you know, anything can happen to him. He's not, he's not you know, a superman. So anything can happen. Um, so there are all these risks, and people really discount these risks. They don't really cal calculate them. So I'm a super uber bull, and what the stock price can go to is so high that it does. It's, it's not worth trying to predict. That's fair. That's fair. And the reason I called you a bull was because uh, there was a, an event last year at uh yeah. austin and it was like bulls versus uber bulls and you were supposed to be the bull but actually it was, it was uber bulls versus uber bulls <laughs> hyper yeah it was bulls versus hyper bulls and okay. i try to tell people at the time guys there are risks there are serious risks gotcha. and i try to enumerate them and actually you know they are the risks that we've kind of tripped over yeah i want yeah. to bring up that uh just like what i said a month ago i was hosting a panel at austin in the Clive Bar, and you were mm. there as an audience member, and then Sandy Monroe joined me, and I uh, was hosting right. a saying. And at the time, the question was, uh, "Do you think that the supply? Do you think that the um, operational costs, uh, cost of goods, would be able to be reduced by Tesla, uh, and would it happen this year?" And I went up to you as an audience member and brought you up and asked you the question, and you were very, even though you're an Uber bull. You were saying that it's not the margins are going to be compressed this year, and I and the audience were obviously not willing to hear that. I said, "No way." Sandy Monroe comes up and says, "You know, this is the greatest company in the world, greatest stock in the world." I asked him the question, "Do you think that the supply, the the operational improvements in the factories is going to spill over into the margins right now this quarter in the second mm -hmm. quarter?" He said, "Yes," and I turned to you and I go, "See, <laughs> boom." I was wrong. You were right. I just wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you. we we uh, you know we listen to Tesla, and it's very exciting. I, I get it very very excited, and they tell us what they're going to do. Battery day, you know the the presentation they did here, what we saw at last year at the um, opening of the factory. These are very exciting things. It takes time. 
And and that time function is something we just haven't seemed to factor in, you know, in our heads. We seem to think 4680, oh, well, they'll start delivering it next week. No, no, they're not going to deliver it. It's going to take years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you recall, Herbert, were you around the Nevada factory, the pain that they went through for four and a half years at that Nevada factory no, to deliver batteries? Right. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Yeah. You know, there was there were court cases because people were saying they were throwing away, you know, 90% of the of raw material was being, you know, destroyed. I mean, it is very, you know what, you know what Elon says, production is hard. Mm-hmm. And it always takes longer. That That's my mantra. Everything mm-hmm. takes longer. Yeah. So that's why I was so, ne- I, I wasn't being negative. All I was saying is it's not going to happen this year. It's not. It's this is this is all you know, two to three years time. And guys, you know, I'm seventy seven. You guys are a little younger. You've got the time. Just have a little bit of patience. I love it. I love. Okay, so I'm getting a sense of who you are, which is teaching me something. Which is you're saying that, you know, things take time. Uh, so in a margin, you will accept a lower margin this year. But then you also say. It could also happen very quickly, like the the switch over to electric vehicles. It could happen faster than you expect, and then. But you're very comfortable that in 2030 you are actually an Uber bull because you yes. do think that when it happens, it's going to happen big in your huge markets. I love it. You are teaching me something. So can we get to your autonomy projections and your robo taxi business model? Um, yeah. You you wrote up a very long kind of analysis on this and yet you just yeah. told me just now and i just looked to hear you actually are still thinking two years from now minus plus yeah. minus a year um so you're bullish but again this is the confusing part you're bullish but things take time go ahead explain to it, me your projections i'm i'm an old man that's bullish <laughs> which means which means uh-huh. that i i have a sense of timing that younger people don't have I don't have time, but I'm patient. You guys have got all the time in the world, but you're impatient. You wanted yesterday. You want everything, and you wanted yesterday. Look, Robo Taxi's coming. Tesla are going to succeed at it. Oh, I just put my lines out. Can you still see me? Yeah. Somehow, just on quite my own right. All right. I can hear you, and I can see you. You're fine. All right, let's keep going. So. Robotax is coming, but it's not going to be this year. Even if Elon says it's going to be this year, I doubt it's going to be next year. I think we have a real shot at it coming in two and certainly three years. And I'm, I, my judgment is based upon what I see from the training data what I see from my own experience, I have the latest version of FSD. I have very stringent tests I put it through. Um, and it, it's, it's got a ways to go. I mean, I could, I could tick off the corner cases. And in my corner case list, I've managed to actually eliminate more than a third of them. Which sounds mm-hmm. great, but it's been two years, almost two years. Um, and the longer the the, the, the lo- further down the list we go, the more difficult it gets. And we have some regressions. We have we have this enormous regression, you know, now that we moved FSD into the uh, onto the freeways. So yeah, I I think that. Um, I think FSD is real. I think autonomy is coming. I think uh, we have to start thinking about the business model for autonomy. We have to start thinking through how we implement autonomy um, and how we maximize the profit and the value, not just the profit, but the value for Tesla in the short, medium, and long term. And and what the business model is. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about that business model. I thought about, you know, Tesla running their own robo taxis. 
Tesla supporting private individuals and allowing them to donate their robotaxis to the Tesla fleet. I thought about third parties like, you know, Mr. Green in Holland or in, in Europe, I should say. And I thought about, you know, Hertz. I thought about Uber are running um, fleets for or on behalf of or in partnership with Tesla. I think that's a very valid model. I thought of, you know, the individual just buying a car and then sending it out as a robo-taxi. I don't think that's realistic, by the way, mm-hmm. simply because of insurance. I think it's just a huge problem. Um, and then, you know, there's combinations of the all the above, and it'll have to be. The, the, the truth of the matter is that Uber itself is really local to the U.S. and to a few other localities. So if you look at every country of the world or every major center of the world, it has its champion, the guy who's conquered that market. I think it's going to be that way with autonomy as well, with robotactics. I think it's going to be local successes where Tesla may succeed, for example, in a particular city or a particular state, but another vendor may actually um, you know, dominate in a different locality or a different state or a different city for various reasons. Um, and I do worry about the amount of infrastructure and um, you know, the, the amount of administration that will have to be put into it. Um, it's a very customer service oriented business and Tesla has got a kind of hands-off relationship with its customers. I'm not sure that's going to work in a, in a rideshare environment, which is why, you know, I really like, um, Pierre Ferragu's model of, Tesla providing the car to operators, to fleet managers to manage it, and even providing the technology to those fleet managers. And I'm pretty excited to speak to people like Mr. Green, who I think have got a fantastic um, you know, business uh, presence in Europe and, and could be very helpful in that regard. And, you know, I've rented a few Hertz Teslas, and it's been a very good experience, really good experience. And I've been renting Hertz cars for donkey's years for probably longer than you've been alive. And, you know, the the, the Hertz experience with the Tesla is better than the Hertz experience with any other vehicle. So I think that would be a really good model. Each of those different models – have different value propositions for Tesla. And it's possible that there could be a combination of the above. So I can't read Tesla's mind. I don't know what they're planning. I don't know how much planning they've done. I don't know how much prep they've done. If I know them, they've done quite a lot already, and they could probably tell me where I'm wrong. Um, But my thread really tries to pass out what the models could be, what the advantages are, what the disadvantages are, and think about how to approach it because, you know, whether it's two years, whether it's one year, two years, or three years before we reach that point, it's very little time. We set up an operation as complex as this and as um, risk, uh, you know, with as many risk uh, problem, issues as this, this operation. So, Now's the time to be thinking about it. But I'm very excited about it, even though I do believe that we're a little bit further away mm-hmm. uh, from it than, than you know, even Elon thinks. And really, three years is nothing. Mm-hmm. It's gone like yeah, it'll happen quickly. I agree with you with the fleet manager. Um, Elon was interviewed by Tesla owners of Elkham Valley, and he was asked this question. He was talking about fleet managers. And yep. uh, I did interview Florian. Menderop. He's a CEO founder of Mr. Green, which is in Europe right now. They're expanding to France, a number of countries. They are the largest Tesla leasing company. I don't know the exact number of cars that they own now. I think it's like 15,000 or something, ridiculous number like that. 
I don't know, I might be wrong, but they buy these cars, Teslas, and then they lease it back to customers. And right. then they're planning to be full robotaxi fleet manager. And I just think the business model is correct. They've been at it a little bit, uh, you know, five years longer. And so they're timing, <laughs> but the timing might come and then they're going to be well set up. Um, so people, if you're interested in investing in that company, I'll put the link to uh, to uh, mrgreen.eu. You can check them out. But um, the fleet manager idea makes sense. So, um, you know, you went through some of this, but I saw that some of your analysis was even deeper than that, right? You actually have really given some thought in terms of just every aspect of this, not just which business model. And so you're thinking three years. Do you actually have a target projection of the value of this? Um, is that part of your you know, overbull the, concept? Yeah. Yeah, I have to say that I've done some numbers, but that you know, um, the uh, um, the numbers that the guys at uh, Kathy uh, Walls Business mm -hmm. um, have come up with, you know, make a lot of sense. I. You know, her numbers are somewhat aggressive. They are very aggressive, actually, but they're possible. Um, so I've played with the numbers, and she's not she's not out of out of the park. I mean, she she's in the, she's in the numbers. So I would I would not want to publish mine. Um, I would prefer that you actually use ARC's numbers yeah. uh, because I think they make a lot of sense. Coincidentally, well, today's the day after Tesla's earning, earnings day, so Thursday, April 20th, and uh, ARC Invest is releasing their newest uh, business model today. I haven't looked at it, but it should be out there. Hopefully, we'll have a chance to look at it. So um, any other final thoughts on robotaxi and autonomy? Um, you know, you kind of had it at the high level, but I, there are so many little details that you've evaluated. But right now in this interview, you've only shared some of the high levels. Is there anything like nuggets that well, you one, think that was interesting? Yeah. One thing that's not in my uh, thread, and I thought about a lot, and I just the thread had already gone on too long, and people are probably going to lose interest. Uh, I mean, the, you know, when we think about robotaxis and we think about my thesis of the market, you know, th this sudden change, this overnight swing that right. it comes to a point where suddenly it's no longer a hundred billion cars that are being sold a year, but it's a billion cars that are being replaced. Um, with robotaxis, the complexity, what it does to the size of the market as a whole and the demand mm -hmm. really changes the, the marketplace very dramatically. Now, it could be that the creation of the robotaxi fleets are what replace the billion yeah. cars. You know, yeah. maybe that's the deus ex machina of implementing robotaxi. So you've got a billion cars in the, in the world, 300 million of them are going to be replaced by robotaxis and take over 60% of the billion, you know, 600 million cars or 700 million cars worth. That still raises the annual market to way above the 100 million for a period of time. Um, but, but so I didn't factor this cross cutting issue of robotaxis with ownership of cars uh, in general and the swing in the market. So that's the one thought I would leave you with. We, we can really delve into that because <laughs> I wanted to ask you, when you said fleet managers, were you still thinking that Tesla would still sell the car to some company, they will then buy it and then do fleet management for RoboTaxi? Or wouldn't you think that Tesla will just stop selling cars altogether? You know, I don't think it matters. Uh, it's a matter of dividing the value earned on the car and some financing factor. So the car's ownership is simply a financial arrangement between who supplies the money and the physical vehicle, the actual uh, physical vehicle. 
Then you have the operation of the vehicle and the maintenance of the vehicle. So whether Tesla owns the vehicle, whether a financial entity owns the vehicle, whether the operator puts up some money. I mean, Hertz doesn't own their own cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a financial entity that owns those cars. I don't know that Tesla wants to burden its balance sheet with 300 million cars. It doesn't seem to be the right use of its money. It wants to make, you know, robo- robots. It wants to make uh, um, air conditioning or, or heat exchangers. It, it wants to build airplanes. It, it wants to build stuff. I don't think it wants to own cars mm-hmm. and manage those cars. That's just my perspective. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for that. I didn't want to leave this conversation until you tell me a little bit more about your investing um, philosophy. I've heard it, and I thought it was quite interesting. You said a few things that was uh, quite gems. Can you just share with me a little bit about uh, how you came into Tesla and your kind of investing philosophy? I don't believe in investing a large proportion of my money um, in risk uh, assets. So you call me a bull or a uber bull or a hyper bull. I can afford to be bullish because I invest a relatively small proportion of assets in risk in risk investments, but I invest them in very very high risk, very very high reward. As a result, I invest the rest in treasuries or in and and. What that's done for me is that it's disciplined me enormously in how I invest. I don't ever borrow money. I don't ever buy stock on margin. I plead with people who come to me for advice. I don't give them advice what to invest in. I give them advice what not to do, and that's not to borrow money against the investment. I cannot tell you how many young people have come to me in tears because they've lost all their money, even though they were a you know millionaire or a multi-millionaire or whatever. And so I don't borrow money. I invest a very small proportion of my assets, but I invest them in very high stocks where I evaluate the risk carefully and I invest them. And so I was a very early investor in Amazon. I lived through terrible times with my Amazon stock. It never bothered me. I never looked at it. I had my business, I was focused on my business, and that's all I did. Same thing with Tesla. I have very a, a handful of stocks, and um, and and sometimes as a result of good luck, my stocks will go way above my limit, which is ten percent of my my net worth. But I don't I don't count it at the value that it's gone on to. I count it at the value I put into it. So I don't. Let it bother me. Now, there comes a time where your conviction changes and you have to sell that stock. Well, when you sell that stock, then you know you pay your tax on it and it becomes an asset, it becomes part of your assets, and then you don't reinvest it. You take 10% of it and you invest it. Yep. And, you know, I, I think it, it's worked well. I think it's a, and by the way, it's not my idea. I, I you know, I, I borrowed this idea from a lot, you know, other people. So nice. it, it just struck me as the right approach. Yeah. yeah. Don't put all in, but if whatever you do, since you are going to be risky with it, go with something very sharp. So I'm kind of getting a picture of who you are, Larry. Thank you. You're like conservative, yet you're very aggressive. You're, you've got good, you got a uh, short time or, willing to be patient and yet you actually think well things will happen things faster than most people do it's kind of this dichotomy very cool you're unique in the way you think i appreciate the conversation <laughs> so i just want to uh, correct one thing herbert about your introduction i've heard this introduction before mm-hmm. so my company is not 5000 people i mm-hmm. sold my company to a company which has become a 5000 person company so okay very important distinction. So, but I'm retired from that company now, and um, but I, I continue to be in very good relationship with them. I still have, of course, you know, investment in them. So. Wonderful. Okay, appreciate you, Larry. Appreciate that we actually got this happening. Um, let's keep. We'll see what happens in the future. 
Thank you, everybody. And uh, please follow Larry on, he's on Twitter. His handle's at Tesla Larry. I will um, put in a link in the description with his thread that you should read. It's a Twitter thread that's quite long, but very, very detailed about his analysis of the RoboTaxi business model. Hopefully you learned something new. I certainly did. And if you did, please subscribe and, and like. So thank you guys very much. Thank you again, Larry. Appreciate this. Thanks, David. Appreciate it very much. Thank you.